0: Hi, this is Reed Ryan, and you're listening to Stroh's Across the Globe.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 7 of Strohs Across the Globe, the podcast presenting an international view on the Houston Astros, brought to you in association with Apollo, all Houston, all original. I'm your host, George Martin, also known as at AstrosFansUK on Twitter and similarly on other platforms. Once again, I have yet another superb guest for you today on the show. I know that as soon as the new year rolls around, thoughts naturally begin to move towards when baseball will be back, this year particularly so, but there is still plenty of time to squeeze in as many great Astros interviews as possible here for all of you in the meantime. This week's guest is Reed Ryan, much loved within the Houston Astros organization and fan base at all levels, with a historical attachment to the club that dates all the way back to the years that his legendary father, Nolan Ryan, spent as an Astro. Reed spent seven years from 2013 as the president of the Houston Astros, and I was very lucky to get the chance to discuss a wide variety of baseball subjects with him. Following the responses Ryan Presley gave me last week on his views as to where Major League Baseball stands right now, worries over the collective bargaining agreement negotiations for 2022 and the minor league contraction being presided over by MLB, I wanted to assess what a front office view of these issues looked like, even if Reed Ryan is no longer in that role with the Astros. We also take a look at his greatest successes whilst with the club, plus what being president of a Major League Ball Club actually entails on a day-to-day basis. I continue to be thrilled by the positive feedback for strows across the globe. Please make sure you subscribe, rate and review the show on the podcast platform to which you listen to it. Your support is what fuels me to give my best to take this show to bigger and better things every time out. Please do keep it coming. It is hugely appreciated, I assure you. Now, it's time to listen to my conversation with Reid Ryan and get an inside look at what it is really like to run a ball club from the view of the front office. I really hope you enjoy it right i'm delighted to say that i have yet another fantastic guest joining me on the show today someone who i think can genuinely be described as universally loved and respected by all fans of the astros none other than the man who was president of the houston astros for seven years mr reed ryan thank you enormously for joining me on the show how are you i'm doing great george how are you yeah very well thank you all things considered i hope things aren't too dramatic at your end because it's pretty bad here in the uk at the moment i have to say yeah you know we have been very
0: blessed uh My family has been safe, and, uh, you know, the pandemic has been – I'm glad that the game of baseball and sports in general in the United States have gone on, Uh, even many places without fans. But for everybody at home, it's been such a a welcome uh, distraction from what has otherwise been a a really tough lockdown.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think to start off with, firstly, since having moved on from the Astros, what kind of ventures are you doing at the moment? What are you involved with in 2021?
0: Yeah, so, you know, what's interesting about uh, me and my family is we've always been involved in baseball and we've always had other business interests. So when I came to work for the Astros in 2013, I was leaving an organization that I started uh, after my playing days in the minor leagues were over. And that was a company we called Ryan Sanders Baseball. Partnership between uh, my family and uh, the family of Don Sanders, who was one of the owners Astros when my dad Nolan Ryan played for them in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And what we really specialize in is owning of minor league sports. Um, you know, we don't have relegation here in the major leagues. We have affiliation, mm-hmm. which is uh, smaller cities and clubs that end up feeding into uh, major league teams, and then being in the sports industry. Uh, we had also grown into doing uh, stadium operations and concessions, as well as uh, field installation. Uh, we we build both artificial uh, turf and natural grass uh, playing services for uh, baseball, football, uh, soccer, as we call your football, yep. um, at both the high school, co- collegiate and professional levels, so NFL stadiums. Uh, practice facilities to Division One College to Major League Baseball facilities. Cool. And that's what I'm doing now. I'm back in the CEO role of that company.
1: Any specific plans for us to look out for? You know, I think
0: 21 is going to be an exciting year. Uh, Major League Baseball is realigning the minor leagues and working on our affiliation switch with the team we own in the Austin, Texas market. Uh, which has been the Astros AAA club, uh, is now moving back to the Texas Rangers. Mm. And so I'm actively working with Major League Baseball and the Texas Rangers to be a part of their system.
1: I think it's interesting with um, Round Rock, they've sort of become part of the fabric of both the Astros and the Rangers. It's quite an interesting sort of duality that, that Round Rock have in terms of their position within Texas baseball.
0: Well, what's interesting about Round Rock is that our family has been intimately involved with my dad, Nolan, being an owner and president of the Rangers, being a player, uh, and then myself owning, you know, with him and those other guys, the Astros, Double Lake, all the way back to 1998. Mm-hmm. We've always had a, one foot in each camp of the Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros. So we have a lot of friends there. And Austin just happens to be a two and a half hour drive from both Arlington and Houston where the two teams major league stadiums are so it's equal distance and the city's comprised of about half ranger fans half astro fans so maybe we lose half of our fans but we have that we didn't have the last couple years
1: yeah it's truly a sort of 50 50 kind of ethos there just focusing on your time as president of the astros what will you remember most from your time if you if you can summarize briefly what what will you remember the most what will you cherish the most well, obviously, winning the World Series—yeah, well, of course. But yeah, in, in terms well, of like what one- I would
0: say is winning the World Series was an incredible opportunity because I grew up in Houston. I was born in Houston, and uh, and we had only known heartbreak so many times. We had been so close to winning, but never able to do it. And to be there in that moment and see the joy that that championship brought people uh, was the highlight. But really, what I would say is our group was able to return pride to a fan base that had been void of pride for a long time, pride in their organization.
1: It was truly a magical moment. But that whole 2017 postseason, as an Astros fan, was extraordinary. And I think uh, no matter where you were in the world, whether you were at home in Houston or whether you were where I am in the UK or whether you're watching from Australia, you name it, it was something which was truly shared, an experience that was shared by all of the fans. Would you say that your greatest success in your tenure as Astros president was being part of that transformation between 2013 through to, well, I'd say through to, well, I mean, I, I guess is that that transformation is still there. I mean, you've still got the core of that team, despite George Springer having left last week. That whole movement that turned what was was it 111 losses into three straight years of over 100 wins is still there. And I think that's something to be very proud of. Is, is that something which you still think about frequently? Or? Yeah,
0: I do. No doubt about it. Um, my role in that was really how do we create a payroll that will support the players that Jeff Luno is going to bring into the organization that AJ Hinch is going to manage on a nightly basis. And in 2013, when we were losing, you know, hundred games a year, three years in a row, it was a daunting task to say, how do we get this payroll to, you know, get to $200 million? How do we, how do we create that much money to be? Able- and there was a lot of times where, you know, their doubt sets in that you're gonna be able to do it. And we had to do a lot of very uncomfortable things, like totally change our, our pricing structure where people were paying twice what they were paying before. And they had to believe that we were gonna take that money and use it wisely. And I think the first sign of that really was when we signed Colby Rasmus in 2015, it was kind of the first time, we, you know, for prospects, it's the first time we went for a piece that signified to our fan base that, hey, look, we're going to try to win now. And I really believe in 2015, we could have easily won the World Series because we had the Royals on, on the brink. Uh, and so it was laying that plan out, a lot of sleepless nights. And then when it all started to come together, everything was lined up. And I used to tell people, we got to prepare for when this team's winning again. Uh, we got to be prepared to, to capture that revenue so that we can keep it going. And so from 2015 to 2020, that run was what we were able to do in that 2013-2014 time frame, and I'm really proud of that.
1: Absolutely, rightly so. I think it was an incredible achievement, and I think it's something which, as Astros fans, we hope is still able to endure what are naturally going to be changes going forward. I mean, obviously, from an outside perspective now, how do you view the Astros in 2021 and beyond?
0: You know, they they obviously are going to have a good ball club again. I think what was interesting about 2020 was everyone thought the pitching was really going to suffer. And what you saw was a lot of really good power arms that got a chance to perform and did really well. You know, this club is is not the same club it was a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the offense, it's still going to be potent. There's still going to be a lot of uh, guys to to move the line and hit balls out of the ballpark. And I think if the young pitching can continue to mature – Uh, you know, it's going to be another year where the Astros and really the A's are going to be the team to beat. I think when you look at the West, the sleeper is the Angels. And if they're able to improve their pitching, you know, they have the best player in the game. They have a lot of really good young pieces and they're not very far away. And so it's going to be an interesting year this year. I think the Rangers are going to be rebuilding and, uh, you know, this is probably not their year. It's probably Astros, A's again, with maybe the Angels uh, doing something
1: as well. I think it's a three-team race. Definitely. I think that's an accurate assessment for sure. I like to look on this show with the guests that I have at the differences between the daily routines of players, of broadcasters, anyone in different roles. And I just wondered, when you were president, what is kind of your daily routine? What did it involve? What kind of things did you do?
0: Yeah, so what I used to tell people is my job as president really was To make sure that all of the plates were spinning. And if you've ever been to the circus and you've seen somebody that's spinning plates, uh, as one starts to fall, you really had to make sure that one was, you know. So my job would be so every day I got into the ballpark, you know, the first thing I would do is check the numbers from the night before and make sure everything's lining up and, and we didn't have any problems from the stadium and the game that night before. And then I would normally, as the day progressed, I'd normally check in with like Jeff Luno see what was happening with him, see what was going on with some of the players, things that we were working on. Um, I had the broadcast under me, and so I would be checking on ratings, uh, what was happening, what's the feedback on social media. Um, You know, always looking forward on the calendar, whether it was national broadcast games or homestand meetings, what do we have coming up this homestand. Uh, And then as it got closer to the game, I would head down to the field for batting practice Normally check on the players, see what was going on, uh, make sure the stadium was ready to go that night, head back up to my office, see what's going on with emails. Normally calls would start coming in for the game, whether it was guests coming or owners or league officials, whatever. And then the gates would open at 530 and you roll into, you know, sort of being in Disneyland mode where the the gates are open and the fans are coming in and you got to make sure everybody's having a good time. So I tell people baseball business is a lot like six months planning for a party and then six months throwing a party. And when you're throwing the party, you know, the band blows an amp. You're out of beer. Somebody gets in a fight. uh, You know, somebody crashes the party. There's just something happening and you're reacting. So it's six months of planning, six months of reacting. And that's what the season's like.
1: That is a great analogy and one that I've not heard before in baseball terms, I like that. As this is a, an international show, I was wondering what kind of involvement all kind of awareness you had of an international market for baseball fans, particularly the Astros and what sort of engagement you guys had, if there were any plans, if there weren't any plans, because I'm always looking at how to connect Astros fans across the globe as the titles that suggest the podcast, how much kind of involvement did you guys have with international markets?
0: Yeah. So we made a decision in, and once again, I'm not with the Astros anymore. We made a decision. I was on the international committee for major league baseball that pioneered the playing of the games in London and playing of games in Mexico City. And really, uh, Jeff Leno and I sat down and, and discussed where we thought we should be and for a couple of reasons. One, building a fan base, but two, being able to have access to players. And so we really kind of focused on Latin America more mm-hmm. than Asia or Europe for the Astros, we felt like that was our kind of low hanging fruit to be able to grab yeah. was a lot in Mexico and in uh, and, and Puerto Rico. So that's kind of where we focus, but from the league perspective, uh, you know, we've tried to encourage as many things outside of the box and these games cost money to put on in UK, Yeah, you know, again, sure. both teams, you have to make up their home gate for them to be able to come over and play. And so I know it was a very expensive ticket, and there were a lot of runs scored and there were a lot of runs scored in Mexico. So you're taking non-traditional baseball stadiums sometimes and creating baseball stadiums. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I think playing games is important for building fans. And we have to play more games in these countries.
1: Absolutely. I was just saying uh, on one of the previous episodes with Ryan Presley, actually, of the Astros, that the London games were an incredible experience here. Almost, Almost like a religious experience for baseball fans here who followed the game from afar for so long to see an actual game that counts a major league regular season major league baseball regular season game on our shores Were two of them it was extraordinary and we had fans of all 30 teams turning up wearing their gear wearing their jerseys and it was such a sort of a festival of baseball is what we were calling it at the time and we'd love to have that back I mean we were supposed to have a sort of sequel series last year which obviously got cancelled due to the pandemic but yeah I mean I think that whilst I kind of understand why fans in the US might kind of turn their nose up a little bit at the idea of taking games abroad obviously having 162 games give a bit more wiggle room than say NFL which obviously there's so few games in an NFL season you can't really take games away without it causing a major you know a huge impact on the season but yeah that series was incredible in 2019 and we really do hope that Major League Baseball comes back I just wanted to hit you with a couple of questions outside of winning the World Series favourite baseball experiences this can be going back from your childhood when you're growing up with your dad you know being the incredible pitcher that he was for the Astros and for the Rangers and for the Angels or it could be something from when you were president just a few different experiences that really stick out to you outside of the World Series yeah so I would say you know as a kid
0: growing up in a major league clubhouse was an incredible childhood and probably my favorite time was the 1986 playoff series against the New York Mets I was a bat boy at the time uh you know I'm 14 15 years old so time to sort of you know be in the middle of all of that um that was probably one of my favorite memories um You know, getting to play in the minor leagues myself and and have a professional career, so many good memories uh, from that. But what I love about baseball is it's the people that you meet along the way that you end up uh, having these incredible memories with. You know, what's great about the game of baseball is it brings communities and people together. When the Astros win, you know, you're you're high fiving and hugging strangers on the street. That, you know, you normally would never, you know, do that with. And there's so many things in this world that try to divide people. Sport is a great uniter. And that's why I love this game. Because when people come to the ballpark, our sport lends itself to where you really enjoy the people that you're with. You follow the game. But you talk a lot, you eat a lot, you drink a lot, and you just get to spend quality time.
1: Yeah, so the the communities absolutely agree. And I think that's why I'm saddened to hear of the contraction which Major League Baseball is doing with the minor leagues. It just seems to me like it doesn't make any sense. Would you agree with that? It seems like it's taking baseball from communities, taking it from the grassroots. I can't see the the long-term benefit. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely a change. And
0: anytime you have change, it's hard. And so, uh, the powers that, that be at major league baseball believe that what they're doing is going to improve the game. And I think that, you know, the proof and the term in America will be in the pudding will be really, if the the game grows in those communities, there was ball with amateur baseball in a lot of these cities mm. and some are losing baseball altogether. Um, you know, hopefully uh, this plan works and they're able to do the things they want to do because uh, this game really is great in those places. Many times it's the only baseball live that yeah. these folks get to see because Major League Baseball has become an expensive proposition uh, because of player salaries and, uh, you know, going on holiday to be able to, to afford to go to some of these games sometimes.
1: Mm. Do you think baseball as a whole is better off now or in a better position now than it was, say, 10 years ago or or not?
0: You know, I think it is in a better position. Um, You know, we have uh, incredible athletes today, and because of social media and the MLB at bat app that we communicate, uh, more people are looking at baseball in various ways. The ratings may not be as good on traditional terrestrial television, but as far as how people are consuming the game and with the analytics craze, Uh, There are people playing, uh, you know, fantasy baseball all around the world. And with gambling being legalized in the U.S., I think you're going to see a whole nother level of baseball fan betting on the sport.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think my worries as a fan, obviously, I'm not involved remotely in the conversations, but with the collective bargaining agreement coming up for renewal after this year, it's a big concern. The last two, three off seasons have had a lot of fractious moments between both sides in terms of the owners and the players. Do you think those concerns are realistic or especially in the wake of the pandemic, do you think both sides will be able to realize that baseball, as you said earlier, has that kind of societal and cultural importance, which hopefully would kind of override slightly more personal issues. Does that, if that makes sense? I think that's the $12 billion question in -hmm. the U S which
0: is, you know, how much money baseball generates. Um, It look, if you look at what's happened with the minor leagues, you look at the bargaining agreement. Um, it's not something that I think fans are optimistic about. No. Uh, if you look at the fact that we throw a pandemic on top of it, um, it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. Historically, the owners have tended to win more battles than the players have won. Um, and, and within the two groups, especially when it comes to collective bargains, all kinds of other constituencies, whether it's veteran players versus cost control players, whether it is international players, uh, you know, things like an international draft, why do we not have that? Well, there's, Mm. you know, economics that have haves and have nots and and those people don't want to give those up. Um, You know, sort of the same thing, the last collective bargaining agreement, the uh, unintended consequences when free agents, they didn't have a a market for a lot of them. You know, if you uh, were not someone that received a qualifying offer, Uh, and you were in that lower half sometimes you were just priced out of the game and so the the reality is is that the game evolves um, and I'm hoping that the people on both sides uh, for the good of the game will uh, make sure we don't have a work stoppage there's just too many people whose livelihoods but we will see baseball in the past has had a way of shooting itself in the foot at times uh, as an industry with with work stoppages and, and other issues.
1: Very true. And I think I speak for all fans when saying I hope that that isn't the case this time around because it knows we need it. We need baseball in the world as it is right now. A couple of things just to close off with. Do you have a funny Astros story from your time as president, something which people may not know of, something maybe a bit lighthearted, which you you can think of that might be of of interest to us? Oh, so many. I mean, I'm
0: trying to, to think about the one that most people tend to think of was kind of my first day on the job. The Astros. When uh, we had a, a snow cone vendor go into the and set his snow cones down on the ground while he was going to the bathroom, and uh, a fan videotaped it, and uh, and and it was all over the internet. So that was that was a bad day. But uh, you know, most of the time, the funny stories have to do with players, and you know, kind of what happens in the clubhouse stays in the clubhouse. Uh, you don't want to embarrass anybody. But uh, what's great about this sport is um, the people and you know a lot of really funny stories a lot of good memories with the people that we got to celebrate all those championships with
1: absolutely do you have a message for the Astros fans that are listening to this um
0: you know thank you is what I'd say Astro fans have treated me and my family uh incredibly you know my dad was an Astro from 80 to, mm-hmm. to 88 um the Astros minor league teams from really 98 until uh this year so uh, a good long, you know, over 20 year run and I got to be president seven years. So uh, what I'd say to Astro fans are thank you for always supporting me and my family. And who knows, maybe we will cross paths again one day.
1: Here, here, and hopefully so. Who's your favorite player, that Astros player that you've ever had the pleasure of dealing with personally?
0: You know what, I'd say George Springer. He, he is probably, there's three people that bring a smile to my face when you say their names. George Springer, Jose Altuve, and Jose Cruz. And who was an Astros legend and played with my dad. And I think the reason why is those guys for the way they played the game and for playing the game, it was a privilege for them to get to play the game. Uh, And the way they played it, they left it all out on the field. And I think that's all you can ever ask for. Um, Other guys that I've really enjoyed over the years, uh, Craig Biggio is a guy that he played with a chip on his shoulder. And he's someone that I really enjoy being around because he's such a student of the game And he just played hard every single day. Things are consistent themes that fans like. Playing with joy in your heart and playing all out. If you do one of those two things, normally you're going to be a fan favorite and you're going to be somebody that excels at the game.
1: Absolutely. I think I couldn't agree more. I loved watching George Springer as an astro. He'll be sorely missed, and the Toronto Blue Jays are very lucky to have him as one of their number now. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope we have a chance to catch up in the future, and I wish you all the very best for 2021 for you and your whole family.
0: No, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure uh, being on the uh, podcast with you. It's great to see we have fans over in the UK and I look forward to getting back over there. Soon.
1: Awesome. And let's hope we have a, a full baseball season to celebrate and savor. Agreed. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Have a good Take one. Well, the hits keep on coming. That was a truly enjoyable conversation with a man who really lived up to the reputation he has amongst Astros fans as being very positive, open and approachable. On this show, I'm extremely keen to give you all as my listeners an insight into the daily routines and responsibilities of a wide spectrum of people across the baseball world for the Astros. Be it telecasters, radio broadcasters, players, coaches, front office staff, etc. And Reid Ryan's account of what he had to do as president of the Astros was fascinating. The incredible work done by the front office under Jeff Luno's tenure and the scale of the task achieved cannot be understated and Reid Ryan certainly played a very big part in that to take the Astros from where they were in 2013 to the powerhouse that they have been throughout the late 2010s was remarkable and the huge efforts of Reed Ryan are enormously appreciated by us fans. I very much hope he knows that. If you want to follow Reed on social media, you can find him on Twitter as at Robert Reed Ryan. Right, it's time now for the draw to see who has won today's prize of the George Springer Forever commemorative shirt designed by Apollo. I've taken down all the social media handles of everyone who entered and assigned each of you with a number. Over to Google's random number generator with the number of total entrants set as a maximum, and let's see who the winner is. Number fifteen, which is at just low four. Huge congratulations to you! I will send you a DM as you will shortly be the recipient of that George Springer Forever Apollo Design T-shirt. That's it for episode 7. If you are not following me yet on Twitter, that's at AstrosFansUK, I would ask you to please kindly do so. And on Instagram as UKAstrosFans, plus on Facebook as George Martin with the Union Jack in Astros colours as the display pick. If you have any Strohs Across the Globe questions, you can also email me at AstrosFansUK at gmail.com. As ever, I would urge you to please also follow Apollo, that's at Apollo H-O-U on Twitter and Apollo H-O-U on Instagram, all Houston, all original. The Apollo store has a ton of superb designs just like the George Springer Forever one from the show today, so please do get stuck in there and remember that with any purchase from Apollo, if you use the discount code Astros-UK, it will make those goodies an even more attractive proposition. A great big thank you for listening to Stros across the globe, please subscribe, rate and leave a review you to show others how much you enjoy this podcast. I sincerely hope it is as much as I enjoy recording it for you. I look forward to having you all with me again soon for the next special guest. And remember, wherever you are across the globe, let's go Stros.